Turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of James, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. As we come to the end of chapter 1, we've spent a lot of time in chapter 1, purposefully so, as James introduces much of what he will talk about in the rest of the letter. The rest of the book will proceed through at a, at a faster pace. Chapter 1 sets the stage. It's good to deal with it in depth before we see him take up the, those topics broader ways and applications. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. This morning, before we read, we ask for God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word in just a moment, we will read your command through your servant James that we would be quick to hear. Quick to hear. And we pray that as we read your word right now, we would display that and we would follow that most most closely and especially to be quick to hear your word, to be quick to put out all other distractions, to be quick to put out our own flesh that might rebel against it, to be quick to put out our pride that would prove to be a barrier to your word, and instead that this word implanted in us would transform us and produce fruit. We ask that here now. We know we ask what is beyond us. We know we ask for something that we are not worthy to receive, and yet in Christ have been made ready to receive. We pray that you would bring this fruit from your word, nourishing our faith to produce action, to produce application in our life for your name's sake. Amen. James 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thus ends the reading of God's word. I wonder if you have ever experienced the rather can-be-awkward-at-times interaction When someone has something on their face, when someone has dirt or grime, when they have something stuck in their teeth, I know it sounds gross, when they have this and you debate this dilemma, do I I warn them about that? Do I tell them about that? And you kind of think, oh, is it that bad? Maybe they'll see it. You think to yourself, oh, I would want someone to tell me if that were the case, so so I'll, I'll tell them. And then in, in that act of kindness, you say, hey, you know, you have something right here. And, and then what you end up doing is that sort of comical, is it here? No, well, no, it's there, right? And then they're, then they're trying to wipe their face, and it doesn't come off. And you're like, no, you haven't quite got it yet. And then that person might just say, you know what, I'm just going to go look in the mirror. 
I'm just going to go, just go look in the mirror and, and I'll take care of it. And you think, okay, that's, that's settled, right? Yes, these things become, you know, very, very big, very big instances. They must be taken care of. But no, this person goes and, and they look in the mirror. Well, as they approach you yet again, how strange would it be if you still saw it there? How strange would it be if the dirt or grime or whatever was there is still there? It hasn't been dealt with. It wasn't touched. You see, the fault of that isn't, isn't the mirror. The fault of that was the person who looked, it, looked into it and immediately forgot what they were looking for, immediately took no thought to it. This is a similar application to James' own illustration of a mirror as one who would look intently at a mirror and immediately forget what he saw. As one who would hear the word and receive the word and then it produced no effect that's as foolish, that's as worthless as looking at yourself in a mirror and seeing something wrong and doing nothing. What good was the mirror? But the fault isn't the mirrors. The fault is the fool. The fool who saw and did nothing, or as in James' own context here in this, this passage, the fool who hears the word and doesn't do it. That's what James is talking about, a mirror that clearly shows a problem. We have that in God's word. We hear it. We're given the right instruction for our life. We're told what to do, and that is to take God's word not only as a message, that enters our ears, but as one that is to be applied to change our lives. You see what James is saying, and this is our theme this morning, the implanted word that saves our souls produces pure doers of the word. We could make that simpler. The implanted word should produce a doer of the word. The word within us, that gospel message, if it is truly implanted, if we are truly to receive it, will bear fruit. And if it does not bear fruit, what does that say about our faith? As later James has in that last section of our reading, that religion is worthless, is what he will say. And so James is discussing what makes true religion. And what makes James such a practical book is that he doesn't just leave it there in in the realm of salvation language, what saves and what doesn't. He takes what's true salvation, what's the true gospel message, and then brings it and applies it even to our words, to our tongues, to how we speak. To our emotions, how we control anger, and what that says about the word implanted in us, what that says about the quality of our faith, even its genuine nature. Is our faith genuine? Are we doers of the word? That's the operative word in this section of Scripture, do. Do. You see, our Reformed emphasis on predestination, on God's sovereignty, does not in any way diminish the strength of the command for us to obey, for us to do, for us to decide to do it. God has commanded, and this is what James is saying, he puts that command front and center. He doesn't qualify it. He just says, do it. The implanted word is within you. Receive that with meekness, and so do Act, And we will see that in three points this morning. The three points, if you look in your Bible, correspond to the sections. You see there's three paragraphs in what we read. And the first point we will look at is put away all filthiness. Put away all filthiness. He begins in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. 
And again, just pausing there, James is interested in knowing. James is interested in true wisdom, and that takes that element of understanding and that command to know. And so he begins, know this, and then he says, my beloved brothers. Why we are dissecting this, because this is important. My beloved brothers, James is not speaking to them because he is upset or doesn't love them, I should say. He is speaking to them because he does. And notice his, his audience. His audience is the people of God. These are the brothers. These are Christians. And so he's talking and saying to my beloved Christians, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, and slow to speak, slow to anger. Very practical. Very practical needs that we all have in our lives. Who among us doesn't understand that need to be quick to hear? We think you must be quick to do, quick to act. That's what you would even expect from him to say. No, he says, quick to hear, but slow to speak, slow to anger. It is in not hearing that we display what but the sin of pride. The sin that is only interested in knowing what we have in our minds and wanting to say that. Obviously, quick to listen is to listen to God's word first and foremost, but James has in mind here their very relations with each other. James isn't just simply saying, be quick to hear God's word, that's certainly part of it, but he's saying be quick to hear in your interactions with each other. In other words, close the mouth and listen. Why is that important? Well, it's, it's the very fulfillment of the law, it's a law to love. Is it not loving? Is that not the mark of love to control your own speech, to be able to afford to others the very thing that you would want to be done to you, someone to listen to you, to your words, to weigh it, that we would be ready to listen? And this is at the very least wise counsel, but in its true application, it's pleasing to God. This is fulfillment of his laws that we read the law to love others. Many problems and confusions are caused in the church by not listening to this, by not being quick to hear. And that's probably why James addresses this. Maybe that his own audience had a problem with this. I know we can't even imagine a problem in God's people of those who don't listen. We all are like that. We know it. This is likely an issue in his own congregation, and he's saying you must be quick to hear, quick to listen. That doesn't mean we listen with a jaw clenched just long enough so we can speak and interject right in that pause the other person says. It's a humble listening. doesn't mean pausing long enough to allow others to have a chance all the while, not thinking of what they're saying, not even considering it or caring, just wanting to say what we believe already. That is not a mark of love. It's not a mark of humility. And as James is very, very prone to say, it's not a mark of wisdom. That term, James desires his people, his congregation, to be wise in the Lord, mature. And a mature believer is quick to hear, quick or slow to speak, slow to anger. And that's what we're called to be. People of God, be quick to hear. This isn't just a good practice. James is showing it's actually the fruit of God's word. It's loving to hear. It keeps the church together. It thwarts, thwarts problems and rifts. It's merely exercising Christ-like love. James wants his congregation to, to, to display that maturity, to actually carry it out. This is a very simple command. It's not hard to grasp, but it takes a monumental effort of faith to carry out. 
doubt that's a surprise to any of us here. How many times have you not thought, I'm just not going to say anything? For some of us, it's easier. For some of us, we just don't want to speak. And there's other problems related to that. Not everyone has that same desire to just speak, but that doesn't necessarily mean you do a good job at, at listening. It might just mean you're perhaps too proud to speak that someone would argue back or something. There are other problems with that. But we can all understand that impulse, that desire, I'm going to control my tongue, I'm not going to speak. And then what usually ends up happening, we hear it, and our emotions build, and then it pours out. And instead of one being described as quick to hear and slow to speak, we're the other way around. We're quick to speak our mind, slow to listen. It takes that monumental act of pruning sin to do this. In many ways, controlling the tongue, and James gets at the tongue later in the book as well, but controlling speech is some of the hardest. One of the hardest things to control and shows the most maturity of a person controlling what they say. What does God's word say? Out of the overflow of a man's heart, he speaks. It is a little bit of a a window into the soul, what words come out of our mouths, how we behave and act. Takes that monumental effort, and then it also says to be slow to anger, and these things go together. These things go together. Anger is tied into this. It's hard to get angry when you're quick to listen. It's hard to get angry angry when you're slow to speak, and by so doing, interested in the truth interested in loving your neighbor, and that's what's controlling your very tongue. It's hard to get angry then. And so you see they're tied together. And James says to be slow to anger. Again, this isn't just a good practice. We read this in Exodus 34, verse 6. When the Lord passed before Moses, what was proclaimed about the very nature of the Lord? Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, James is saying that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. That's what he says in his, his letter. It is not anger, and it is not being quick to speak. It's in listening and being gracious and steadfast and faithful and loving and slow to anger that we display the very nature of God. That we produce that righteousness that is the righteousness of God himself. One of his very attributes James says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put it all away. See, he broadens it. He gave us example of what he's talking about, controlling your tongue and listening, controlling your anger. And then he just generally says, put it all away. Put all filthiness and rampant wickedness away. Receive, rather, that implanted word. What is that implanted word? The implanted word is the word of the gospel that's taken up residence in a believer's heart. The implanting is there by God himself. It is God who has implanted it. And James is saying that word that God has planted in you, that gospel word, receive it with meekness. To receive it with meekness is to listen to it in humility, to do, to listen first and foremost to that, to hear that and obey. This is hard for us. It is very easy to ignore it. It's very easy to not foster a meek attitude to the implanted word within us. This is why so often we see stagnation in our own spiritual maturity. 
Not only there are blocks, there are things in the way, there are pride, there is sin that just stops that process. We don't receive the word in meekness. We aren't there wanting to hear the truth, wanting to be transformed by it in every way. We have these things. Yes, we know we need to work on this sin or that. We don't really ever hear that implanted word doesn't take root. James is saying that word should be joined to your heart. But notice, you might ask this question, how do you do this? That word's implanted by God in us. We have that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're united to him. We have a new life. We have that then, that implanted word. We have God's word living within us. But how? How do we receive it with meekness? How do we act on it? And what James would say, the only conclusion you could draw is that you are to do it by listening to the word. So it's almost like a circular argument, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He's saying, receive that implanted word through the word and do the word by meditating on the word. It's that word focus. That's how you do it. The word is in you. You hear it. Do it. Ask God for it. You see in this section, in the next section, be doers of that word. Do it. It's all focused on that word itself. James says that this word is able to save your souls, and he's saying that to show the power of that word that is implanted in us. This is what is the salvation for us, is the gospel message. And as that gospel message is given to God's people, they are to produce its fruit. The implanted word that saves our souls produces pure doers of the word. That implanted word that saves our souls produces pure doers of the word, at least it ought to. James is using this for his audience to then look at and say, if it's not, if it's not producing this, then what's the problem? If it's not producing this, then am I in sin? Have I truly accepted the gospel? Do I have true faith? That's his desire. Who's he talking to? His beloved brothers. It's not a bad thing to take a stock of our faith that we would either be assured of it or that we would grow in it. See, that we don't control our tongues or we're quick to anger. And sometimes we say that so flippantly, yeah, but I have a problem with anger. I got quite a temper, and if I'm riled up, it just, it's just, it just comes out. And we, we say it knowing it's bad, but do we, do we really limit it? Do we really fall on our knees before God, broken over what is so unchristlike itself? Not the righteous anger of God that's devoted to purity, that springs forth from love, but an anger of pride. An anger that arises from being quick to act instead of slow to listen. This is what James would have his people know, that the implanted word produces fruit. That's our first point. Our second point, be doers of the word. This is in verses 22 to 25. Be doers of the word. There is a difference between hearing and doing, and we all know that difference. The problem is so often that we can hear and we don't do. The word is not shown to be truly implanted unless it is lived out. And this is where we get into that illustration of the mirror. This is how we began. How worthless in that illustration for someone to tell you you have grime on your face. 
and then hear that word and not have it change anything. And go and look in the mirror, and for this illustration, we'll say the mirror is God's very word. Let's say that and use that for this illustration. To then see it and read, I'm supposed to control my anger, I'm supposed to control my tongue, and then to not even work on it, to not even do it, to not even ask God for it, to not even, to not even be broken about the sin, what good is that? What good is all the gospel message in its grandeur presented to be ignored? It's the mark of the fool. So per James' own logic, we could say, if you're not a doer of the word, you're a fool. If this word's been implanted and it doesn't produce fruit, then what else are you? Hard words from James, but necessary words we need to hear need to tell ourselves. This is, this is how sanctification is done. Sanctification comes from being scraped and scratched. There's that illustration in C.S. Lewis's book. I can't remember which one it is. I don't even remember the characters. This is, this is off the cuff. This is a bit dangerous. But where I think it's Eustace in the story is this dragon. And it portrays what he's been in his own heart and life. He's turned into this dragon, this creature. And Aslan, the the picture of Jesus there, in showing forth his sanctification, rips him apart. He has to cut through the scales, and it's this painful process. He's ripping him open with his, his, his claws, and it's painful, and it hurts. But what a good depiction of what sanctification is for us. It hurts. It hurts to hear. It hurts to be perhaps called a fool, and that's not saying that James means everyone in the church is doing this, everyone in the church is a fool, but everyone in the church should do this. Everyone in the church should look at the mirror, look at God's law of liberty, and so have themselves transformed and not ignore it. That's the point of James' analogy. He says it clearly in verse 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. There's the intent of his words here. There's a summary of it. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. The man who looked in the mirror forgot at once what he looked like. The mirror proved useless, led to no good and to no action. Whereas the one who looks into the perfect law, as he says, that law of liberty perseveres and will be blessed in his doing. I had alluded to this earlier in the service that our law, the law before us, is what James calls the perfect law, the law of liberty. What an interesting description. We don't generally think of the law and God's word revealed in that law as a law of liberty. So what does he mean? What he's getting at here is that the law, and he means the law, he means God's word, he is calling that a law of liberty. Why? Because he's looking at it from, the, from the, the sense of Christ. He's looking at it through the vantage point of Christ. And in Christ, and who we are in him, having been implanted with that word, the law of God, the word of God, is not a law of bondage. It's a law that liberates. It's a law that doesn't allow us to be constrained and to stay as those just enslaved to anger and enslaved to say whatever word that comes to our mouths or to those who pursue all filthiness. That's bondage, and the law and its, its penalty without Christ is that. It's a law that constrains and hurts, but, but James is saying through Christ that law is a law of liberty, setting you free. 
You are no longer under the condemnation of that law and in fact are now able to do this. You're able to to live it and produce its fruit. This is the word of God. These are the Old Testament scriptures, but understood in and through Christ. That's the only explanation for his terminology. In our introduction to James, I mentioned how there are many who critique James. James doesn't talk about Christ enough. He's not very Christ-centered. That's just not true. He did not use Jesus' name here. But that's everything present here. That law of liberty is because of what Christ has done. That perfect law, the law of liberty, is what Christ does. John Calvin says it this way, that there are places in Scripture that talk about the law as a bondage and that what only condemns us, but the spirit of regeneration who inscribes it on our inward parts, and that's that implanting, brings us also the grace of adoption. It is then the same as if James had said, the teaching of the law, let it no longer lead you to bondage, but on the contrary, bring you to liberty. Let it no longer be only a schoolmaster. I'll pause there in that quote. When Calvin calls the law a schoolmaster, he's picking up the language of Galatians. And what was that law then? That law was there as those who needed to be guided. Those who were God's people, they weren't mature in that sense in redemptive redemptive history. They needed to have everything spelled out. This is what you do, and do this, and understand this. But with Christ coming, there is that breaking of the law. There's that freedom, and there's that understanding that now God's people are mature. They don't need it. They don't need the schoolmaster. They don't need the curfew, because for them, they're not following it in, in, in a law constraint. They're following it freely. They're following because they desire that. They've reached maturity. And so Calvin says, but bring, but this, don't, don't treat the law as only a schoolmaster that brings you to perfection. It ought to be received by you with sincere affection so that you may lead a godly and a holy life. And this can't be obtained in the law until we come to Christ. And that's what James is saying. A good step in doing this, a good step in receiving this implanted word is that we would see the law, that it would bear fruit in our life, and that we would see its beauty. It's beauty in Christ that is unmatched, and so seek that. Seek to obey it. That language of looking into the perfect law is, in the original language, is helpful. That perfect law and that, that what it's saying, it's the idea to stoop over and examine when it says to look at. So here's the contrast in James's, his point. You have that fool who looks at a mirror and forgets. But then he says, for you who stoop to examine that word, that law, and the best way I've heard this explained is it's like, it's like a little boy playing outside, and he sees this, this creature, this bug he's never seen before, and so he stoops, and he gets down on all fours, and he's looking at it, and he's kind of touching, and he's prodding it, and he's examining this. And that's, what, that's the idea there, that as we look at God's word and God's law, and we stoop to examine it, and we're seeing it as a mirror that reflects our own sin, and we deal with it, and we see it as the words of life itself, we're absorbed in it. And far from standing up, that little boy doesn't just stand up and and forget, what was that bug? What did I just do? Like the fool who looked in the mirror, no, this little boy runs to his mom or dad and says, do you know what I just saw? It was a bug, and it was green, and it had this many legs, and it flew, and you know what? It was kind of weird when I touched it. He's examined it. It's stuck. That's what we do to the Word of God. You won't be a doer of the Word unless that is what we do with God's Word. 
examine it and stoop to it. Humble reflection. And that's the simple question for us today. Are we doers of God's word? Now James doesn't leave us by ourselves here. It's not as if James is just saying, do this, and we have no help. Throughout chapter 1, we have seen so many gracious ways that the Lord helps us, gracious activity that the Lord is doing through all of this. I'm just going to go through them very quickly. You don't need to write these down or anything. It just gives us this, this smattering throughout the first chapter of all the way God's, God blesses us. In verses 3 and 4, the result of our persecution is steadfast faith that lacks nothing. In verse 5, James tells us to ask God for wisdom, for God is the God who grants wisdom, and he grants it liberally. In verse 12, you are blessed in remaining steadfast under trials, and you're blessed with the crown of life itself. In verse 13, we read that God does not tempt you, but instead tests you for your good. In verse 16, God gives every good gift and is the perfect gift himself. He will not change Verse 18, of God's own will he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 21, he has implanted his word in us which is able to save our souls. And verse 25, you will be blessed in your doing. James does not take away our hope. He gives it. James is showing all the blessings that are involved in the wisdom of God and hearing it and doing it and what God's working in us because it is God who works in us. Who commands the doing? It's God. He commands us to do and obey. But then who works out the doing? It's God. He works it in us. It doesn't remove the fact that we are to choose to act. That doesn't remove that we work together with God in that, that there is a choice, that we must choose it, but it is God who works in you, carrying you to completion, and that's our hope. That's what we seek. And so our second point, be doers of the word, and our third point, verses 26 to 27, avoid worthless religion. And this is where James continues. He says that true religion is one that acts. And so he's circling around what he's already been saying. He's saying if you claim to have true religion, or if you claim to have the true gospel, and that doesn't produce anything, it doesn't produce work, it's worthless. James isn't defining everything that goes into true religion. He's not giving us all theology here, but he is giving us something so fundamental that without it, it isn't true. And without the doing, without the fruit, without the loving, that's how we could summarize everything he tells his people to do, to live in love. Without that, your religion is worthless. Your Christianity is fake and false. You see, fruitless Christianity isn't Christianity. Fruitless Christianity isn't Christianity. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As he began, he gave us examples of what all the filthiness is. It was anger and not bridling the tongue and controlling that. And so here he gives us examples of what true religion is. And what is it? It is to go to the helpless and serve them. It is to go to those who need you most and to show that love. Christianity is a religion that acts. If we're living in such a way where we aren't acting, 
And we'll use his own examples if we're living in such a way where we don't give a, a thought to the widows, where we don't give a thought to the orphans, those who need it most, representing all acts of love. And that's what James means by that. James isn't clearly just saying you're a true Christian if you take care of those two things. It's representative of all of God's law, but it's primarily and fundamentally that. The greatest example of showing that love is to those who are the the, the hopeless of the society, who need the help the most. And if we can't show love to them, to those who need it most, then what is our religion? So broadening that application, are we doing that in our lives? Is our Christianity fruitless? Is all that it is a time for us to gather and go to church? And do you think you have it all right because you got all your beliefs in order? See, the book of James is so wonderful because he takes that to task. He takes that thinking to task and he says, if you have everything that you believe, great. He'll even say this later, even the demons believe what is orthodox about God. What's the difference between us and the demons? Not what we believe. They believe the same thing. They know it's true. What's the difference? Living it. Fruit. Love. That's a religion that's not worthless. A religion that seeks the orphans and widows and everyone in between. Seeks to care for them, to show that love. These verses aren't, of course, meaning that if we've ever failed to bridle our tongues, if we've ever lashed out in anger, or if we've ever neglected orphans and widows, that we don't have faith. It's talking about what characterizes your faith, certainly. But I say that almost lightly, because I'm, in one sense, detracting from the punch that James is giving here. So, characterizing it in that way, and I'm only saying that so we have our theology correct, That we don't think perfection is what saves us. That's the only reason I'm saying that. But I don't want to miss the punch that James gives to those like us, those of the church, who might know what is right. And James is telling us, act it. And if you're not doing it, then what is your faith? What is your religion? An EKG or an ECG in medicine is an electrocardiogram. It records the electrical signal from the heart to check for different heart conditions. I'm sure we've all seen it on TV portrayed, or even we've seen it in the hospital itself, and it's that wave, and it, and it beeps, and we see that there's the heart. And we know Hollywood likes to display deaths through what it is, that flat line. And it's just that, and there's no beep, there's no, there's no sign of life. What James is doing is he's attaching those electrodes to his people and he's saying, how do you know that your spiritual heart is beating? Where is your heart in all of this? And we could think of it that, that little, the, the wave. Are you, are you slow to speak? Beep. Are you, are you quick to listen? Beep. Do you put away all that's, that's wrong and filthy? There's another wave showing a faithful heart. Do you love others? There's the waves. It's beating. You have true faith. But is all that you have done received a word? That's that, that's that flat line. Again, this isn't to bring us to a place that just unnecessarily questions whether we're saved, 
but appropriately fastens that EKG to us to say, what is our faith? What is our religion? And, and, and to broaden it, what is our church? Are we a church that loves? Are we a church that acts? Are we a church slow to speak and quick to listen, that bridles anger, that puts away all filthiness and foolishness? And are we a church that actually gives forth loving action to others, that obeys God's law, not only in hearing it, but doing it? You see, the implanted word that saves our souls produces pure doers of the word. We want to be pure doers of the word, which is just to say we're doers of Christ. We're doers of what is perfect. Healthy faith shows its fruit, and it's in receiving with meekness that implanted word. As we receive with meekness God's word and seek to do it, he blesses it. Does he not say that? You will be blessed in your doing. Amen. Let's pray to God that we might have this heart ourselves. Father in heaven, we turn to you and we bring our request, a request that you would hear our petition the petition to be like your son, to receive the implanted word with meekness, and to so act and to so do, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we would not prove to be fools that have received the word, have heard it but forgot it and have turned away, but instead we would be like the one who stoops over to look and examine your perfect law, a law of liberty that produces the fruit of Christ itself. This is our desire We pray that you would carry it out here within us, and we pray for all of us here that if there are any who do not have the truth, whose faith is one that hears alone, may they be so so impressed upon by your word, and Holy Spirit, may you work in them that their heart would be changed from a heart that merely hears to a heart that is true and receives that implanted word with meekness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.